Anyone who's heard me speak before knows that I like to start every time I speak with something that gets a little bit repetitious, but it's so important. And it goes something like this. This is my Bible. It's the living word of God. This word's alive. It doesn't lie dormant, it lives. And when you get into God's word, God's word gets into you. And when God's word gets into you, it changes you. And so when that change occurs and you get back into God's word again, you go in changed and you're seeing things differently. You're receiving things differently on a deeper level. And every time that exchange occurs, you grow. There is no substitute for being regularly in God's word. None. So having said that, let's, uh, I want to read a section of scripture, and it's a bit long. I apologize in advance for it being a bit long, but how could I not do it after that introduction? And it starts in Luke chapter 15 at verse 3. And it goes like this. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Wouldn't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call on her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the same time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him and kissed him. And his, and his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. 
The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours, notice he doesn't say when my brother, (laughs) when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. If anyone has been around church for any length of time at all, you've heard those three parables before. Maybe you've heard them so many times you're thinking, I can't believe I came to church today and he's going to rehash these three stories. Well, too bad for you, because I am. Because there's something that gets lost in these stories, and I'm hoping to draw that out today in our, in our time together. But before we do that, I, I want to just... I want to show you something, and, and, and I've asked Robin if he would come up here just to assist me in this. I was going to ask Neil, but it's kind of a day off for him. So come on up, Robin. And uh, I, just want to, I just want to do a little illustration, and, and I, think, I think Robin's going to really enjoy it. And, and, and so it, it, it kind of goes, you know, something like this. We're going to, uh, well, what's going to happen is, is I'm going to slap you hard. Like, like, like. <laughs> like a Batman slap. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be rough. And, and, and when I do that, slap him really hard. He, you didn't know that, did you? We didn't talk about that part. And, and when I do that, I just ask you all to not rush and, and call 999. Don't, he's not going to need help. We're, we're, we're all good. No, I'm, I'm not actually going to slap him. But you know what, what you know I know about Robin? Robin is a man of grace. He's a man of peace. And odds are good that if I did slap him, it would be me who would be paying the price. I I would probably feel pretty bad about that simply because of his spirit, of his nature. Now, the same couldn't or wouldn't be true if I were to say call Ian or David up here and, 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 and slap them. Odds are I would be the one feeling the sting, right? You can go sit down. And, 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 or, what if I was to leave here today and, and as I was walking into the parking lot, maybe, maybe there was a police officer there. I just walked up and slapped the police officer. What then? What happens? Or maybe I slapped the prime minister. Hold it. We, we, we're not picking sides here. What about that? What happens then? Or maybe I take it a step further and, and I should have occasion to have an audience with Her Majesty the Queen and I decide to slap her. Now what? See, there's a point to this. And the point is this, is context is everything. See, my action is the same. It's the exact same action. It's just me drawing my hand back and slapping somebody. In every instance, the Action is the same, but the context is different, and context is everything. To understand the nature of this, the, the slap, the seriousness of this slap, or any action, if we take it there, 
we have to see it in the context in which it was delivered. If we don't see it in that light, we're losing, we're missing something. And so this morning, I think it's uh, very important. In fact, I I know it's very important that, that we understand that when we look at these three parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, that, that we tend to see these in, in a certain way. And every time we look at them, we see them in, it seems, in the same way. We see them in this light where, where yeah, the lost sheep, and, and, and what we're supposed to take from that is that the lost sheep is, is very important. And, and God puts a priority on, this, uh, on the lost. And we see this parable of the lost coin where we, we see this idea that, well, this is how seriously God takes it, is that, the, that there's a party in heaven when, when, when something that is lost is found. And then we look at this parable of, of the lost son, and, 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 and this is where, for many of us, it starts to really hit home, and we're thinking, well, what this parable is about, it's about this, this, this grand story of redemption, and, and we kind of project ourselves, many of us would, into the position of that son, and maybe we haven't taken it that far. Some of us have. But we all have somewhere in our story, if we are now connected to Christ, we have somewhere in our story a time in our history when we weren't. And we tend to identify with that prodigal son. And then we, 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 our, our mind goes to, we, we see this idea of this father, this father who's waiting and watching and praying and preparing and ready to receive. And, and rightfully so, we see, well, that's God in this story. And we would be right in all of that. We would be right to think all of those things. But we would be incomplete. We would be incomplete because we haven't gone that one step deeper in the stories. And that one step deeper is we have to identify something. Who is them? Who is them? See, this passage started out, it says, it says, so Jesus told them this story. Who's them? And if you back up to the first two verses, it says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Well, guess that? That's not the them. The them in this story, the people that Jesus was talking to is contained in the next verse where it says this, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. See, we often see this in the light that Jesus was telling this story to a group of people who considered themselves lost. And so, and so they should resonate with this idea of a lost son coming home. They should resonate with this idea of a sheep that is found. But that's not who he was talking to. He was talking to the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, the religious leaders of the day. If we put that in today's context, who he's talking to is the pastors of churches, denominational leaders, religious leaders, your key volunteers in your church. He's talking to theologians. He's talking to people who already feel like they're on the inside. 
And I get it that we look at this story, and as I said, rightfully so. We can take away things that apply to us. But if we don't see it in the, in the, through the context of who he was talking to, we're going to miss a very important lesson. Because he was talking to people who considered themselves found. The men gathered there that day listening to Jesus' story. They didn't, they didn't see themselves as lost people. In fact, these were the men who people looked to for religious example. They, they, people would look to these people and say, this is how we should be living. That's who Jesus was talking to. And that changes the nature of what he was teaching them. Because, see, they wouldn't have identified at all with who Jesus was making the stars of the story. They wouldn't have identified at, at all with those people. See, see what, they, what they would say is no good shepherd, no good shepherd would ever leave 99 perfectly good sheep to go and hunt down one little lamb. See, they're an agrarian culture. They understood innately that you would never do that. If you had a shepherd that was looking after 100 of your sheep and he left 99 of those sheep to the wolves, to the lions, to the thieves, to all the dangers in that society, it's not like they had fens and, or pens and fences. It's not where they were. These creatures were roaming free, and they required a shepherd, or they would roam away. So if that shepherd was to say, okay, adios, sheep, I'm going after this lamb, this worthless little lamb, if you had hired that shepherd, you would fire him. He's a bad shepherd. So the men who were gathered there today that Jesus was telling these parables to would say, that's not a good shepherd at all. That's a bad shepherd. And when, we get, and when Jesus gets into that second, second parable, and they're looking at that, and they're saying, say what? This woman lost the equivalent of, of, of her wages? She, she lost that much money, and then when she finds it, after turning her house upside down, after, after pulling her hair out, after going crazy, she just blows it on a party for the neighborhood? What, are you kidding me? No responsible woman would ever do that. See, they're not identifying. They're not projecting themselves into these stories. They're looking at them, as it were, from above, and they're saying, well, what are you getting on about, Jesus? This is foolishness. This is absolute foolishness. While we're on the subject, no proper son, no, no worthy son would ever go up to his father and essentially say, you're dead to me, give me what's mine. No proper son would do that. They're, they're, not, they're not putting themselves in that son's position. They're not feeling sympathy for that son. They're, they're looking at him as dirty, filthy, disgusting, and a whole nine. No righteous father would ever do what that father did. No righteous father would ever, you know, if you really press into the details of life and culture at that time, you know, you know for that father to have to run, he would have to lift his robes, and no, no righteous father would ever lift his robes and expose his ankles. 
It would make him unclean culturally. No righteous father would ever run. Jewish proper men did not run. No righteous father would ever go and embrace somebody who is so unclean as that son. And no righteous father would ever welcome that son back. No. It's not how they were seeing these stories. And I get it. I understand why we now see them the way we do. But hang with me. His audience weren't seeing it that way. His audience had entirely different uh, take on that, you see. For them, the character that they strongly identified with is the one that we often dismiss and we often see as the villain. See, to them, this story was all about the other son. That's who this story was about. That's who was tugging at their heartstrings when they were hearing these parables. (laughs) They're saying, you did what to him? He was faithful. This son was faithful. This son, this son, in his own words, he slaved away from you. He stayed in the fold. He did everything you ever asked of him. When you gave away half of your, half of your wealth to, to, to that other son, you left now as a, as in the household only half of what we all previously had. And when that father welcomed that son back, it says in that passage, and this is so important, the father says, go and get the finest robe and get a ring and place the ring on his finger. And symbolically in Jewish culture, that meant he was fully reinstated into the family and would now qualify for a full inheritance again. So the other son's half just turned into a quarter. The other son was now going to have to give up half of what he had to this dirty, filthy, unfaithful, ungrateful son. That's who those men that day saw themselves. They heard what Jesus was saying They're saying, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. See, Jesus was ushering in this new kingdom. Jesus was ushering in this new way of looking at the world. And they weren't having it. All they could look at was themselves and say, what? What does that mean for me? And and when we don't understand the context of what was being taught, we miss something very important in this teachings. We miss what Jesus was really driving at. Yes, God values the lost. Of course he does. In fact, Jesus was saying, we need to prioritize the lost. We need to make lost people the most important thing. So important that we would do irresponsible things. So important that that, that we would forego hanging out with believers and get out there and, and, and get our hands dirty, as it were. 
Jesus was talking about an economy in his new kingdom where there would be no expense or effort spared to reach these lost people. He was making the most important thing the most important thing, and he was backing it up with the wallet. And again, the people listening that day, they weren't having it. We learn that God will act in unexpected ways because rightfully, when we look at those three parables, God is personified in that father and God is revealing something of himself and and, and something that we have to understand. God will act in ways we do not expect. Whatever box that we've put God in, we need to be prepared that when God wants to act and wants to move, he very often is gonna step outside the walls we put him in And he's going to act in ways we never saw coming. This is what Jesus was talking about. And finally, he was saying, you know what? It might get messy. When you begin to prioritize the loss, when you begin to throw everything you have into into that effort and into that mission, and when God begins to act in unexpected ways, it may get messy. This is what Jesus was telling those men that day. And those men circled the wagons and identified with the other brother. And said, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. There is no way. There is no way. When they saw the other brother as being wronged, they saw themselves as being wronged. (laughs) These, These... these pictures go so much deeper. See? The thought of that type of upset to the norm of their religious life was simply too much for them to bear. It was unthinkable for them. There's no way they, could, they, they couldn't get their head around a religious experience that looked like that. Of course, the term Christianity wouldn't have been invented yet. To them, everything was tied up in religion, but their religion would not allow for what Jesus was saying needed to be done. So these men who were pillars of the community, who were examples of religious life, people who other people patterned their lives after at that time said, no, no. We want to continue with what we've always known, what we've always done. We want to stay with people we've already met. We want to stay inside this comfort zone. We don't want to move out of it. So if you'll allow me a little bit of grace, maybe you've already given me a lot of grace. I would like to take that just a step deeper. A step deeper for us today, us in this room. For those of us I know we all don't live in Rich Hill, but we belong to a gathering, a fellowship. A, the Greek word is koinonia, a fellowship of believers who feel called to impact this community. We have a pastor, we have a leader who, who, who cries and, and labors over this. 
What does that look like? What does that look like for us? What's it look like for this body? What's it look like for this church? How, how do we make that happen? How do we effectively reach this community that so desperately needs Christ? How do we do that? Well, in the spirit of giving me grace, I just, I'm just, I'm just going to go there. I'm just going to go a bit deeper. Look, if you are here this morning and, and you are identifying with the prodigal, if you are that person who's far from God at the moment, but maybe once was connected to God, if you're somebody who, is ne- who has never made that decision, then you are right to see these parables in the light that this is a story of God and your relationship to him and what it would look like for you to come back. You are right if you are not connected to God to project and put yourself in the position of that son. But if you would call yourself a believer, a follower of Christ, if you are already connected, then you need to stop identifying with the prodigal and start realizing you really have only two choices to identify with this morning, and it's either the father or the other son. There is no other choice for you. These stories are not about your past. Let go of the prodigal and stop reading them as if they're written for you as a prodigal. If you are connected to Christ, you're not that anymore. You're made righteous, you're made whole, you're fully restored unto the father through what the son has done. You're now either going to become and walk in the model of the father or you're going to be the other son. And if Jesus was standing and and giving these parables today to those of you who are believers, to those of you who are connected to this church, to those of you who are part of the mission of this church, you need to hear it the way those religious leaders heard it. Jesus is talking about potentially upsetting the apple cart of comfort. See, if I could be so bold, I I would say this. God is calling us as believers, as individuals, and maybe as a church. That's not my call to make. I don't lead this church. But as individuals, I know this to be true. God is calling us to be reckless. He is. He's calling us to be reckless like that shepherd was reckless. He's calling us to do things that people would look at and say, you should not be doing that. No good Christian would do what you are doing. No good follower of God would do what you are doing. Jesus wants us to be reckless. And he may even want us to be irresponsible. When David was, was speaking this morning and he was saying he feels this compulsion to, 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 to give money to this work, or at least that's what I'm hearing him say in Haiti, but it seems beyond what, what his budget or what his finances might, might look like right now. I, I'm not saying David start writing checks, but I am saying that, that, that maybe, maybe when we become reckless and we become a little irresponsible and we take bold moves and we do things that people would look at and say, that's not responsible. You know, in David's case, he's saving for a big screen TV. That's not he's not telling you that part, right? But I know that. But 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 and those kids, they can go without a bed, really. He can watch TV. So that's unfair. And he's gonna slap me. So the, 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 the point is, 
That when we join in to the kingdom that Jesus ushered in, he's saying, be reckless, be irresponsible, and be radical like the Father. Do things that look perhaps even unrighteous to those looking on. But let me tell you who won't think that. The lost won't think it. Only the found will. It is incredibly hard to offend lost people when you step out of your comfort zone and serve them. But boy, oh boy, will you take some hits from those who are already found. Boy, oh boy, will you take criticism for that. And Jesus is saying, be radical. Don't you coast. Don't you coast through this relationship with me. Don't you coast until you get to heaven. You step up and you be reckless and you be irresponsible and you be radical. And when God steps outside of what you would normally expect him to do and God begins blessing what you're doing, look out, you need to be ready. Because when those floodgates open, because you, you, you know one of the, one of the scriptures that is, that, that is so true, and we, we all often hear put out there so much, is the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. And when, and, and when Jesus uttered that statement, what he's saying is, are you kidding? He's, he's, he is saying that, that there are lost people everywhere and they can be found if we will engage them. But when we do, they're going to want to leave the community they're now part of and join a community like this one. And if we're being honest, it can make us uncomfortable if we're the other brother. Because sometimes that messes with our norm. And sometimes that messes with our comfort zones. And sometimes that messes, messes with, 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 for some of us, the reason that we gather here every Sunday. And, and if people started coming in here and God was opening up the floodgates because we were impacting the community and people started coming into this place to find Jesus and all they found was people who have already found Jesus who didn't have the time for them. Oh, what a shame. Jesus tells us what the most important thing is. He, he, he tells us what the priority is. He gives us a model. And he gives us a command. We've got to ask ourselves, who am I? Who am I in this story? Please understand and don't, and don't hear me in any way being condemning. Please don't hear that. It's not what I'm doing. This is not an indictment on anybody or certainly not on this gathering in any way. It's a call to action. It's a call to mission. It's a call to trust. It's a call to move forward. It's a call to actually take this seriously and realize what we have been called to and make it the most important thing. I'm going to regret saying this. We will have an eternity to lay and bask in Jesus' presence. But we only have this physical life to do the work he called us to. And our worship here 
isn't even a shadow of what our worship will be there. And I'm, <clears throat> and again, I don't mean that in any kind of condemning way. But what I do want to ask you today is to search yourselves and say, in light of hearing these stories, of hearing these parables, of hearing Jesus' teaching in this different way, who am I? Am I the Father? Have I just camped and, and continue to see myself as somebody who was lost but now is found, and that's the end of story? Or have I entrenched myself and become the other son and drew a line around my familiar and said, this is what I'm all about and I don't want that messed with. Because if that's us, we need to repent of that. If we've been carrying that, we need to let it go. We need to, we need to lay that at the master's feet as it were. We need to give that to Jesus and say, forgive me. Do you know what? Maybe in some way that I didn't even really realize I have not actively engaged the community or not actively joined the mission because I was afraid that maybe it would mess up what I have found to be so comfortable for me. It's other son thinking, and I'm not accusing anybody of it. I'm just saying it's a possibility, and if that's you, you need to repent of it. We need to be much more like the Father. Much more of doing those things that people don't expect to see an individual, a community, a church do. We need to be ready and willing to embrace those whom God sends to us. Because that's what he wants. And if you're here this morning, and you're somebody who hasn't made that decision yet to follow Christ, or, or somebody who hasn't, uh, or maybe has made that decision but has walked away, this is your time to, to reconnect or connect for the first time. And even as, I, I don't know if there's a last song plan, I'm assuming there is, um, but, but if Judith and Paul and Puma, whoever, if you want to come back up, um, just just... Just as we close, I, I want to draw our attention to a piece of, um, uh, of Scripture. It's Psalm 139, 23 and 24. And I, and I want this to be our prayer. I want, I want us all to internalize this and, and, and pray this. So whether you are right in the heart of God, whether you're connected to God but lukewarm, or whether you're far from God, this is a prayer for you to pray. It's a dangerous prayer. Make no mistake. This is a dangerous prayer. This is David, and he's praying. He's saying, search me, O God. Know my heart. That's vulnerability. Search me. You ask God to search you, there's nothing he doesn't see. Know my heart. When he says, know my heart, he's saying, know my motives. Know what drives me. Know what holds me back. God, I want you to know this. Search me. I want you to know it. But then don't stop there. You need, you need to test me. You need to put me in positions that make me anxious, make me fearful, make me uncomfortable. Test me. See where I am. 
Reveal it to me so that I can see it. And, and because when I see it, I'll be able to deal with it. And we can deal with it with safe people in community. We can deal with it with, with, with friends. We can deal with their pastor, but we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. <laughs> and he continues, right? And he says, point out anything in me that offends you. That's a strong statement. There may be things in us that offend God. You know, one thing that, one, uh, a verse that I, that, that I love because it's so poignant to me is, 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 is God tells us in his word that he blesses the humble, but he opposes the proud. And as a Canadian, when I, when I think football, I, I'm not thinking soccer or whatever. I, 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 I'm, thinking, I, I, I'm thinking, you know, like American-style football. Those big guys, big equipment, like 300-pound men who are standing there. And, 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 and what I see, when I see that God opposes the proud, I, I'm looking at a line of those dudes who are intent on stopping me. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, to the people who are willing to be vulnerable, who are willing to put themselves out there, who are willing to say, God, reveal to me what's wrong, what's broken, what needs to be fixed. And finally, in doing all that, we're going to be led along a path that leads to everlasting life. It's a dangerous prayer. And if you pray it this morning and you're far from God, it's going to bring you to him. If you pray it this morning and you're closer to God, he's going to reveal things to you that need to be dealt with. And this is the perfect time to do it. So I'm going to read that over us and pray it. Pray it as a prayer. And then if we could just linger for a minute or two in, in, in that and let God do that speaking. And I've been coming to this church for a while in this gathering and I've not seen this done but I, I, I just want to call this morning and say if you need prayer because you're far from God and you want to come back because you're close to God but there's stuff that needs to be dealt with then I would urge you to actually come up here and have some, some of the leadership actually pray with you and make this right so let's pray. Search me, O oh God. Know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out in me anything that offends you. And lead me to your path of everlasting life. <laughs>